If God is good, then why evil? Why do so many bad things happen in life? How do we explain terrible suffering? This is one of the most difficult questions known to mankind. Today, we'll examine it. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zuckerman. Today, Dr. Zuckerman takes on the problem of evil and its crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's articles, books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now we go before a live audience with Dr. Zucrin in part one of Hope in the Face of Evil. We are dealing with problem of evil and suffering today, which represents one of the greatest challenges for the Christian. Well, for all people, especially the Christian. Now, there are three basic worldviews. Theism says God made all. Pantheism, which is the foundation of the Eastern religions. God is the universe and the universe is God. God is not a person, he's a it. He's a force made up of all things in the universe. Pantheism says God is all. God is directly tied in and connected to the universe. And naturalism or atheism, no God at all, form the foundations of all philosophies and religions that are out there. Now, of all three worldviews, it's only Christianity and the gospel that can offer a real and true message of hope in the midst of evil and suffering. Naturalism affirms evil, but denies the existence of God. And actually, they run into a problem, because to say there's something universally evil means there's a universal moral law, morally perfect standard from which we have departed. So actually, they run into a problem, because the argument against God from evil boomerangs back into one of the strongest evidences for the existence of a God. Pantheism affirms God or the one, but denies evil, says this world is an illusion. The reason you have pain and suffering is because you're attached to illusion. So the whole goal is what? Detach from everything. How does a true Buddhist monk really live? He lives in isolation, owning nothing. Why? This world is an illusion. It's a mirage. So why do you want to be attached? Why do you want to fall in love? Generally, the answer of Buddhism to evil and suffering, right? Let go. Detach from everything upon this earth. Even people don't want to be attached to anything on this earth. Why? Because someday you're going to lose it. It's an illusion. That's why Buddhist monks live in isolation. They don't marry. You know, true Buddhist monks, okay, according to the true teachings of Buddha, they live in complete isolation, detached from everything. And that's the answer in Buddhism, right? Eliminate all desires. That's Buddha's answer to the problem of evil and suffering. Now, I think pantheism and the Eastern religions their answer requires you to deny your humanity and to deny reality. And this world is not an illusion, it's real. Our true humanity is what? Is to love, is to be attached to things that are eternal, and to, to love others. Okay? We're called to fear losing others. Right? That's what motivates us for evangelism. Right? That's the hope that we have. Yet. The pantheistic religions tells you to detach. That's denying your humanity, you know, denying your emotions the way God designed you. It's denying reality. So they offer an, a deficient answer. Modified theism changes the concept of God. When it comes to evil and suffering, God is limited. He is not all-powerful. 
Therefore, what's going on is not really in his control. He's fighting to gain control. He doesn't know what's really going to happen. We got to pray and help God out. And then you have theism. Okay? The Christian worldview affirms both God and evil. And I believe that in Christianity, both come together. Only in theism do we have a real answer that addresses the issue. And it's only in Christianity that we can give a real message that is true and a real message of hope. Now, when it comes to the problem of evil, when either you're, you're dealing with someone who has faced a great loss, someone in the midst of evil and suffering, there's two aspects of the problem that you have to answer. They deal with the mind and the heart. And it's the questions that we're all asking when we come into those difficult times. First is the philosophical problem of evil. How does a sovereign and good and loving God allow evil to exist? What purpose does evil and suffering have in my life and in the course of God's plan? Okay, that's the mind answer you've got to answer. How does this make sense? Second, you have the religious problem of evil that deals with the heart. Well then, how do I get through my time of suffering now? How do I deal with someone who has experienced great evil in their lives. So those two aspects you've got to address and answer, the mind and the heart. And Christianity, I believe, is the only one that addresses both of those and gives you a good answer that's true and the only message of hope. What kind of hope can atheism or naturalism give you in the midst of suffering and evil? You're here by accident. There's no intended purpose for your existence here. The only sure thing the atheist faces is what? Extinction. Extinction of himself, his family, never ever to see them again. Extinction of the human race, and the death and extinction of the universe. What did, you know, the universe is one day going to die. What difference did it ever make that we were ever here? You know, ultimately, all your suffering and all that you fight for and struggle for is ultimately meaningless. It all ends in extinction. What meaning of hope is in there? You know, and I, I was talking with an atheist whose partner got killed in a train crash, I believe, and he was talking about, therefore, there is no God, da, 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 da. What kind of God allows it? And I looked at him and I said, what message of hope can you give? Why are you so distraught over this anyway? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, ultimate end is what? Extinction. Our lives here are meaningless anyway, right? He said, yeah. So I said, our suffering is meaningless anyway. What's the big deal? You know, and it finally caught him. You know, that, hey, the problem of evil and suffering is only a problem if the Christian God exists. Other than that, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be a problem, but it is. And the fact that we suffer with this shows that we appeal to a higher moral law, a higher moral good from which we have departed. If atheism is true, none of this matters anyway. What hope is there for an atheist anyway? There isn't any. Only Christianity offers you a message that's true, true to reality, and gives you a message of hope. C.S. Lewis was an atheist for nearly half his life, became a Christian later. One of the things that brought him to Christ was the problem of evil. He said this, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. And how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the, this universe to when I called it unjust? And eventually, that brought him to a belief in God and eventually in Jesus Christ. So the argument against God using evil boomerangs back into one of the strongest arguments for the existence of God. Now, when it comes to the philosophical problem, the three questions we have got to answer, okay, there's three that we have got to answer 
for ourselves and for those going through difficult times. Number one, what is the origin of evil? Did God create evil? Is God responsible for evil? Number two, why does God allow evil to exist? If God is sovereign, good, and powerful, why does he let evil and suffering continue? Why doesn't he put it to an end right now? And number three, what is the purpose of evil and suffering? It appears that a lot of the evil and suffering going on has no purpose. Those are the three questions you've got to answer to address the issues you're struggling with in the mind. So let's answer those three. And then in the next section, we're going to answer the hard issues. How do I get through this very difficult time? So the first, what is the origin of evil? Now here, from our good friend, the atheist David Hume, here's probably one of the strongest arguments against the existence of God ever devised by the human mind. All right, so let's see if we can answer it here. Here's his syllogism here. Premise number one, God is absolutely perfect. Two, God cannot create anything that is imperfect. Three, and a perfect creature cannot do evil. Therefore, evil cannot arise in such a world. But evil did arise in this world. Therefore, either God is not perfect, or God did not create a perfect creature. Okay? Which premise is incorrect here? Two, God cannot create anything imperfect. That's incorrect. Three, four. <laughs> oh, okay, how many say two? Two, okay. How many say three? How many say, what was that one? Five. All right, 10 people voted. Well, let's see here. Okay, let's take a look. Okay, premise number one, God is perfect. Yes. God cannot create anything imperfect. Correct. Ah, number three, and a perfect creature cannot do evil. That premise is false. Therefore, the following premises that follow are therefore false. Number three is not correct. And a perfect creature cannot do evil. This premise is false. Let me tell you why. God created only good things. Correct. One good thing that God created was beings made in his image who could enter into a love relationship with him and with one another. A perfect creature must be able to do the greatest good. And what is the greatest good that can be done? To love. That's the way we're created in the image of God. I was just talking to a Buddhist from Burma the other day, and you know, the whole thing is detached from all things, and I said, well, the greatest good we can do is not to detach but to engage in love. And she thought about it for a minute, and I said, I said, you married? She said, yeah. And I said, what's the greatest good, to love your husband or to detach and desire nothing? And she thought about that for a while, and then she wouldn't answer me, and I said, it's to love, right? So that's the greatest good you can do. That's a natural thing. Why is that? I said, that's because we're created in the image of God. If Buddhism is true, and you've got to deny your humanity, what you're designed for. Now, ding, finally made sense to her. Okay? Love is the greatest good that can be done. A perfect creature has got to be able to do the greatest good, which is to love. Love now requires free will. You've got to enter into it out of your own choice. You have to make a decision to enter into that. But you can also reject it. So love requires the exercise of free will. So a perfect creature can love, but in order to love, they've got to have free will. Now. Free, free will is not evil. Okay? Free will is good. And that's why we embrace and love freedom so much. We fight for freedom. Yet, but in free will, there is the potential for evil. So, 
God created only good things. The one good thing God created was beings who could love. Therefore, they had a free will. Free will makes evil possible, okay, since it's the power to do otherwise. But to do otherwise than good would be evil. Okay? Hence, a perfect creature can do evil. God, by allowing us, creating us in his image to love, gave us free will, which is good. Okay? But free creatures can choose not to love and do instead what is evil. Okay? Adam and Eve exercised their free will to disobey God. Thus, man committed sin and evil entered into the world. Okay? Free, free will is not bad, but it gives the potential for evil. Okay? For example, Bob here. I can give Bob my car keys and say, Bob, can you drive down to Long's over here, get us all a soda, you know, and uh, a pizza, you know, and, and come back and, uh, you know, give it to all of us, okay? I give him my keys. I give him freedom, okay, and a responsibility to use that freedom wisely and correctly. Now, he can do one of two things. He can obey, he can go, go to Long's and get a soda and pizza, or he can take my car and he can go racing on the freeway, all right? Now, is my giving him the freedom, giving him the keys evil? No, it's not evil. But it allows for the potential of evil according to his choice. All right, so the potential is there. So God made evil possible. Man made it actual. All right, so that's the answer to the origin of evil. Okay? By the way, any questions, you guys just uh, fire away. Well, second, why does God allow evil to persist. Here is Hume's syllogism here. Number one, if God is all good, he would defeat evil. If God is all powerful, he could defeat evil. But evil is not defeated. Therefore, no such God exists. All right, which premise is incorrect? One, two, three, or four. So God is not all good. How many say one? How many say two? Two again. Man, what's up today? Man, Something in the air today. Something going on. That vibe. How about number three? How many number four? The answer. Number one, God is all good. He would defeat evil. Correct. God is all powerful. He could defeat evil. Correct. Number three is incorrect. It's stated with this implication. But evil is not defeated, implying evil will never be defeated. Meaning this is the way it's going to be. Uh, therefore, the premises that follow are false. So, Here's how it should be accurately stated. God is all good, he would defeat evil. If God is all powerful, he could defeat evil. But evil will never will be defeated. And that premise is false. Therefore, no such God exists. Now, there's no way for the atheist or the skeptic to know that evil will never be defeated, that this is the way it will always be. There's no way for anyone to know that unless he's omniscient and knows all things. God is all good. God is all powerful. Premise three, therefore, is this. But evil is not yet defeated. Evil will one day be defeated at a future time. The nature of a theistic God, the God of the Bible, guarantees it. In fact, we already see it in process already. He is all powerful. He can do it. He's all good. He wants to do it. Hence, one day, he will do it. He will defeat evil by separating good from evil forever. In Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. By quarantining evil, separating it, quarantining it. That's what hell is, separation from God. 
Uh, just this past Saturday, I was sitting at a round table with college students, and one of the biggest problems they had is, how does a good God torture people for all eternity in hell? And I said, no. I said, you got the wrong concept of hell. Hell is not a place of torture. Read your New Testament. It's a place of torment. What's the difference? Torture comes from the outside. Okay? There's not angels over there poking people with, you know, pitchforks and making them suffer. Torment comes from within. It's a place where you are quarantined away from God forever, knowing that all that life was ever meant to be, you know, the joy, the love, the goodness, the relation, all that it was ever meant to be has been lost. And, and you've got no one to blame uh, but yourself. And you have to live with that decision for all eternity. That's what caused the tremendous pain and suffering in hell. Punishing evil and rewarding good uh, by defeating death and Satan. Okay? Now, evil was officially defeated on the cross. It'll be actually defeated at his second coming. So the official defeat of evil occurred on the cross. Therefore, we know okay, that victory, victory day is soon to come. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing them over them in it. And the actual defeat of evil comes when the armies from heaven come and judge and destroy the forces of evil. Hey, it's like World War II. Right? What was the turning point of World War II? What was it? What was the turning point of World War II in Europe? D-Day, right? D-Day, when the forces landed on Europe, in Europe and began their charge, that was the turning point of World War II. Okay, from then on, we knew Victory Day was coming. It was just a matter of time. Okay, but when we had a successful landing on D-Day, we knew okay, that the war was going to be won. So on the cross, D-Day came. All right, the official defeat of evil occurred when Christ defeated sin and death. That's the official defeat of evil. The actual defeat comes in the return of Christ. Why doesn't God wipe out and destroy evil now? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The fact that he doesn't wipe out evil and judge all those who oppose him now okay, is a part of his grace wanting more to come to Christ if Christ returned in 1980 I would be in hell today because in 1980 I hated God I wanted nothing to do with God I'm glad God did not come in 1980 I'd be in hell I'm glad God hasn't returned yet my mother would be in hell she accepted Christ three four years ago at 70 years old, she accepted Christ. Had Christ come back, you know, in 2000, uh, she would be in hell today. So God allows evil to run its course, but there will come a day when he will bring judgment upon evil and things will come to an end. Finally, the purpose of evil. What purpose does evil and suffering serve in my life and in the course of God's plan? Here's the basic argument. An all-good God must have a good purpose for everything. Number two, but there is no good purpose for some suffering. There's useless or innocent suffering. Three, hence there cannot be an all-good God. There is either a finite God or no God. What's the answer to that one? Number two, okay, very good. Okay, you got it. An all-good God must have a good purpose for everything. Correct. 
Number two, but there is no good purpose for some of the suffering that we see. That one is not correct. Okay? Hence, the premises that follow are false. Just because we do not know a good purpose for evil does not mean there is none. Okay? And all good, all knowing, and a good God knows a good purpose for everything, including evil. God in his sovereignty and in his plan did not want evil and suffering to enter into this world, but it did. But God is even using that to bring about his ultimate purpose for mankind and for each one of us. And being that he's good, it's always for our good and for his glory. And all good God has a good purpose for everything. So even what seems evil to us and have no purpose does have a good purpose somehow uh, in the infinite omniscient mind of God. One of the things we've got to remember is that there's a bigger picture here and not just us. We can be so self-focused we forget to see things from God's perspective. Right? Just like a little child when he's two three years old he wants this, he wants it this way, this way. and you as a parent have to do what? Show him, wait a minute, you know you need to delay that decision for a greater good for our family. Okay? But they can't see it, right? They're like, no, I want to watch TV now, you know? They're like, no, you can't now because there's something greater, uh, there's a greater good for everyone in this family now. But they can't see it, right? Why? Because they're so self-focused. And that's the way we tend to be. We forget that there's God's perspective here. There's a bigger picture at play. And let me give you a simple example. In the Midwest, there were two groups praying. A farmer was praying for rain uh, because it hadn't rained for a while. He must have been in Dallas. It didn't rain for a while. And he was praying for rain for his crops or they were going to die. At the same time, a church down the road was praying for sunshine for the weekend because they were having their church picnic. Now, which one is God going to answer? You, you see the picture there? There's a bigger picture in play here. He's got to answer what is the greatest good. Right? So if he answers the farmer, I'll bring food for many people. But everyone at the church picnic may be upset and be going, where were you, God? You know, we had this picnic all planned out. Where were you? You know, so you see, there's a bigger uh, picture involved. And that's something we've got to uh, understand. You guys saw the movie Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey? In this movie, he gets to be God for one, uh, well, for a little while, okay? Because he's always complaining to God and all that. So Morgan Freeman, who's God, says, all right, you think this is easy? You're God for one day. And so Jim Carrey says, oh, great, okay. And Jim Carrey, you know, looks and there's millions of prayers, right? But if he answers one prayer, it affects all this that goes on in a very negative way, you know? And if he answers this prayer, then all these people, you know, and so he's got to figure out whose prayer to answer. Finally, he just says, ah, everybody gets a yes on their prayer. And he says, it's just a complete disaster. So you got to remember, there's a much bigger picture uh, at play here. There was a young girl, I remember this story, her grandfather was sick in the hospital and he was dying. She prayed hard that God would heal him and restore him so that he could live for several more years. But uh, he died. And the girl rejected God from then on. She said, I prayed to God. He didn't answer my prayer. He doesn't exist. Either that or he's a cruel. I can't believe in that kind of God. Wouldn't heal my grandfather and let him live. Years went by and and she had children and one day she got a knock on her door and uh, she opened the door and there was a lady there with her teenage boy stranger you know 
then she goes, yes, can I help you? And she said, you know, is this so-and-so's house? And she said, well, no, not anymore. It's mine. You know, that was my grandfather's. And this was my grandfather's house. And she says, is your grandfather's name? Da -da -da -da. And she said, yes, it is. And she said, you know, when your grandfather died, my son was dying in the hospital. He needed a new heart. And now we were praying. Everyone's praying that there would be a donor that would arrive. And we waited several days and there was no donor. Finally, a donor appeared. There was a match. He was able to receive a new heart as a young child. And he's alive because of what your grandfather did. And we came here. He's a 14 years old now. We came here to thank you for what your grandfather did and what your family did. You know, and thing, it finally hit her there. You know, wait a minute. There's a bigger picture here. You know, what appeared to be evil and unjust at this time, somehow God used it okay, for his purpose. And although it was very difficult for her, her grandfather died. It saved the life you know, of this young boy. And somehow we've got to understand that, that all that goes on, somehow it's in part of God's big plan that is much bigger and more complicated than we can ever fathom. Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. It's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll educate yourself and your family, and you'll help us keep expanding. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org.